Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast, where you will get tips to expand your legal nurse consulting skills. Every week, you'll hear from experts from within and outside of legal nurse consulting. They will share their knowledge to help you grow. Your show is moderated by Pat Iyer, a legal nurse consultant with 30 years experience. So join our community, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Here's Pat. Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast. I am Pat Iyer, and I have with me Joan Davis. Today, we're going to take you into a look at international legal nurse consulting and how it functions in Canada. And I have the pleasure of bringing to you Joan Davis. It is easy to get caught up in our own perspectives of how our world functions and then to question what are the similarities and what are the differences of legal nurse consulting in many parts of the world. I just did a tally recently. We have listeners in 105 countries in the world. And I know that many of you are listening to these shows and sending me comments. And I really appreciate the feedback that I have been getting. Joan has been a registered nurse for over 40 years. She has had the opportunity to work in both the United States and Canada and she has a broad clinical background. She is currently working as a legal nurse consultant in Canada. Joan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat, for that lovely introduction. I've been a huge fan, as you know, for many years, so this is truly an honor for me to be here. And it's an honor to have you on the show and give us a perspective of your world. I'd like to start with functioning on the focusing on the role of medical malpractice cases in Canada. And tell us, what is that world like? What is it currently like if you are a plaintiff and you would like to file suit against a Canadian doctor or hospital or nurse? Great. So Canada is a very large country but it has a relatively small and mainly rural population of about 40 million people. And definitely we have a smaller appetite for suing physicians here. So according to the American Medical Association, one in three US physicians will face a lawsuit by the age of 55. Whereas in Canada in 2020, there were only 732 legal actions against the 100,000 physicians registered members of the Canadian Medical Protective Society. So it's not to say that medical errors aren't happening in Canada. They are. It's more to do with the fact that suits aren't being brought against the physicians or hospitals making the errors. And Canadians may just be more reluctant to place blame on their physicians. Canadians are sort of known for um, being very polite, not liking to argue, and uh, we tend to say, I'm sorry, a lot more than I think other cultures do. So, I mean, I think society is becoming more litigious, but the number of civil suits for negligent medical care in Canada has actually decreased slightly over the past five years. 
Yeah, you know, that's fascinating, Joan, because those are some very significant differences. And I'm thinking about, you know, there are physicians in both the United States and Canada who will go into a patient's room or a patient's family and say, I'm sorry, we made a mistake. And the family will accept that and not pursue litigation. But what about in some egregious cases? And I'm thinking um, Canadian birth injury cases where there's some catastrophic damages to a fetus as a result of either lack of prenatal testing or something that goes dreadfully wrong in labor and delivery. Are In your experience, are there certain categories of cases like that where the family in Canada will say, you know, yes, I need to get justice or yes, I need to get compensation? Can you give me your perspective of that? Yes, absolutely, there is. And birth injury, like you said, is a big one. Um, I think another huge area is traumatic brain injury. Um, but definitely birth injury and one of the highest settlements in Canada had to do with a birth injury case. And that was back in 2022. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the baby inside the uterus was diagnosed with interuterine growth restriction, which is a condition that carries some pretty serious complications. And the um, physician involved uh, did not do an early delivery. He, he let the, the mom continue to deliver on her own. And the baby had a delayed seizure and ended up with some pretty serious brain injury. And mm -hmm. that was interestingly enough, actually the highest recorded settlement in a birth injury case or in any case in Canada, it was 15 million. Well, to help our viewer of this program understand if a if an infant needs lifelong care in Canada, does the national health care system provide that or is the family without any resources if a child, for example, needs that type of ongoing care? If, and if there is no malpractice suit. Yeah, so we do have universal health care in Canada. It's called, well, in Ontario, it's called OHIP. And every every person born in Canada qualifies for health insurance. But there are limitations. So certain medications would not be covered. Um, certain equipment for in the home would not be covered. There's a lot of added expenses, like OHIP kind of covers a person for, you know, the average healthcare needs. But in a in a, something like a birth injury, where they, as you say, have lifelong consequences, then um, there would be a lot of out of pocket expenses for that family. And if they didn't pursue a malpractice claim, then, you know, they may not have the funds that they needed to uh, look after that child to care for the child. If a plaintiff wants to pursue a case in the United States, the attorneys take that on contingency fee. They foot the bills for 
the expert witnesses for the filing fees, for the deposition transcripts, all of the out-of-pocket expenses are typically covered by an attorney. And then the attorney gets those expenses reimbursed upon settlement or winning at trial and then splits what's left with the family. Usually the attorney gets a third. It depends upon the amount and which state. In Canada, what is the system that would apply for a plaintiff who is walking into a plaintiff attorney's office to discuss a potential case? How is that structured in terms of who pays the costs? Do they have to pay an hourly rate to the attorney to handle the case? Is the Are the winnings, the settlement, or the verdict split between the plaintiff and the attorney? How is that structured? I know I just asked you a bunch of questions. And if you were an expert being deposed, you would say, all right, now let me take the first question. So tell me about how that works in Canada with the splitting expenses and the rewards. Okay, so we have a quite a different system in Canada because um, each physician, well, most physicians, almost all physicians pay into the, um, the CMPA, which is the Canadian Medical Protective Society. And they pay a yearly fee to the CMPA and each province um, subsidizes their fees somewhat. So the physicians kind of have an advantage because if anything happens, as far as a claim goes, they immediately go back to the CMPA and the CMPA sets them up with a physician advisor. They act as a defense fund for that physician. Whereas on the plaintiff side, um, it's, it's, uh, it's more of an uphill battle for them because they don't have this, this big resource behind them to help them. So they have to first get an attorney to take the case. And because of the lower compensation for cases in Canada, the lawyers obviously have to weigh out the cost of the litigation against the rewards and make a good business decision. And um, many of these claims that are filed get dismissed by the court or the plaintiff gets discouraged because it's taking so long. A lot of these cases take maybe four to five years to get to court or the injured party may even have passed away during that time. So, um, or they, like you said, they could run out of money. They don't have enough money to to keep paying the lawyer and to keep that engine moving forward. Um, now, as far as how it works, I think probably some attorneys will pay the upfront costs and some won't. So it kind of depends on, on the attorney preference and how they wanna handle that. And then when the case is settled, for example, does the attorney get a percentage of the amount that is recovered? Yes, typically the attorney does get a percentage. Yeah. And do you know how that ranges? A quarter, a third, a half? I said I'm not 100% sure on that, but I I have a feeling it probably mirrors mirrors the US system fairly closely. Um, but I honestly could not say. Okay. 
Can you tell us, Joan, if there is a cap on pain and suffering in Canada? Yes, there definitely is a cap. So um, with pain and suffering, the intent is meant to compensate uh, the injured person for the pain, stress, and inconvenience caused by the negligence. And currently the cap for damages for pain and suffering is just under 400000 which sounds like not a bad sum, but um, that generally just applies in cases that are, you know, have very severe injury. So most cases are settled for a lot less than that maximum amount. And when you think of the person that's facing a lifetime of consequences, you know, it's not really going to help them out that much. One mitigating factor is that the court can look at awarding additional money for things like loss of income and for future health expenses. But uh, because of the cap, some cases just don't make economic sense for the attorney to pursue. Mm -hmm. And I understand that there is a Rule 53. Tell us about that. What does that cover? Sure. So the Rule 53 form is a sworn acknowledgement of the expert's duty to be fair and impartial in the evidence that they provide. And Rule 53 also states the expert cannot testify in court to any issues that aren't brought out in the report. So that means that the expert has to make sure the report is comprehensive and covers all the pertinent points that impact on the case. Rule 53 is specific to Ontario where I am, and other provinces have similar rules of court. For instance, British Columbia has Rule 11-1 and-2, which states that an expert has a duty to assist the court and not be an advocate for any one party. So bottom line, the expert needs to be aware of any rules that apply to the court and are specific to the province where the claim took place. Some provinces also have restrictions on the number of experts that can be used on a case. The number of experts. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Meaning if you have a complicated medical malpractice case, let's go back to the birth injury case. You've right. got potentially an obstetrician, a pediatric neurologist, a labor and delivery nurse, a perinatologist, uh, potentially a neonatal nurse practitioner, a variety of people who could be speaking to either liability or damages. Mm -hmm. The restriction then apply to the types of experts that you're discussing, or you couldn't have two labor and delivery nurses, you couldn't have two obstetricians, you couldn't double up experts. The restriction applies to the, the types of experts. So you might be restricted to, you know, three to four experts on any given case. Hmm. That's interesting. I haven't heard of that. Um, and I have seen cases where there have been multiple, multiple experts involved in one case. You've, en you've emphasized that you can't go beyond what you've written in the report when you testify. Right. And, and yeah. that is similar to the United States. 
That's called You Can't Go Beyond the Four Corners of the Report. And the, the need to be unbiased and objective is certainly also applicable in the United States, although that's where some experts get in trouble because they are assumed to be biased if they do a lot of work for a law firm or if they only do plaintiff work or they only do defense work. So that can injure American experts who are involved in United States litigation. I'm fascinated by the report structure that you mentioned, not being able to go beyond what you've written in your report. Are there frameworks or templates that experts use in Canada to create their reports that are consistently used? Reports are fairly similar, I think, to what we're seeing in the U.S. So um, other than just kind of stating what the case is initially, what you re what records you have reviewed, and um, and then kind of going through your uh, the breaches in the standards of care, and then summarizing and coming to a conclusion at the end. And then of course, any references that you've used throughout the case would be included as well. I think um, I think where the differences come in is that typically in Canada, the nurses are working as an expert, kind of, so it's kind of a one-stop shop for the attorney, whereas in the U.S., there can be a couple of subsets of LNCs, correct? So there'll be those who do the expert work and those who will assist behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Are there nurses in Canada who do assist attorneys but are not identified as being testifying experts? Before we continue with the show, I'd like to share this special announcement with you. Are you a legal nurse consultant who wants to stay on top of crucial medical legal knowledge? It's time to become the logical choice in your market and leave your competition in the dust. I'm Pat Iyer, introducing our multimedia in-depth programs designed to expand your legal nurse consulting skills. With our programs on lnceu.com, you'll gain the expertise needed to analyze liability and damages, attract more clients, and sell more services to existing clients. No more wasting time trying to figure out things all alone. It's time to build your knowledge and generate more sales. Our convenient online learning experience allows you immediate access to powerful information. You can go through the training at your own pace in the comfort of your own home. Each month, you'll receive a digital guide written by me and a masterclass taught by one of our expert presenters. Whether you prefer reading, watching, or listening, our programs provide you with the flexibility to consume the content again and again. And don't worry if you can't review the materials right away. They'll stay in your membership vault until you're ready for them. Our programs come in various formats, including videos and digital guides. You can even watch them on your cell phone for convenience on the go. Plus, we offer flexible payment plans. Choose to pay yearly, 
and get 12 months for the price of 10 or opt for a monthly payment plan. Don't miss out on this opportunity to boost your internet presence, attract more clients, and build your expertise. Get the resources our community of legal nurse consultants are using to take their careers to new heights. Visit our website today and unlock a world of knowledge and possibilities. It's time to stay ahead of the game and become the go-to legal nurse consultant in your market. Expand your skills with lnceu.com. Enroll today. Now let's return to the show. Well, I think that's where um, there is room for education in Canada because attorneys that I have spoken to, um, they typically want an expert nurse. But I think there is room for more nurses to be working behind the scenes and assisting in different ways, maybe not uh, necessarily on medical malpractice, but there are a lot of other arenas where we could be assisting in as behind the scenes. And I think it's mm -hmm. just um, getting getting the attorneys used to how, how a nurse can um, assist them. In different in different ways, not just as an expert, and not just commenting on the standard of care for nursing. What are some of the other types of cases that exist in Canada? Sorry, can you repeat that? Sure. What are some of the other types of cases that exist in Canada? Oh, okay, so we have the full gamut. Um, we have everything from personal injury. We have mass torts. Um, we have product liability, criminal defense, which is uh, one area that I'm involved in. Mm -hmm. And uh, with criminal defense, the cases, criminal defense cases, the nurse will evaluate the injuries and look for in mitigating factors and then help the attorney understand if the injury fits the alleged crime. Other cases are workman's compensation. So if um, if an injured person has been denied their claim, then the nurse can go in and uh, assist with an appeal. Because oftentimes it's just um, either there's lack of evidence that supports the claim or the person didn't qualify for the permanent impairment section of the worker's compensation. The nurses can also do life care planning and uh, assist at independent medical exams as a silent observer, where you watch the interactions between the physician and the client and then write up a report later detailing what transpired. And are you seeing that overall there are some attorneys who understand the value of nurses helping them with these other types of cases, or is there a big opportunity for Canadian nurses to present their value to attorneys for those types of cases? There is definitely a big opportunity for nurses to come in and, and educate these attorneys and present their value of what they can do. I think that attorneys that are using nurses definitely see the benefit and they go back time and time again 
to get a nurse to assist on the case. But if they have never used a nurse, then they don't really understand um, how how the nurse can assist them and what kind of impact they can have on that case. Are there attorneys in Canada using other categories of people to do the kind of services LNCs could provide, or are they doing it themselves, or are they not doing it at all? Sometimes um, the paramedic, not paramedic, paralegal, sorry, will be um, doing some of the preliminary work. So maybe they're doing some of the chronology type work for the attorney. Um, some attorneys rely pretty heavily on physician experts. And yeah, some some just aren't using nurses at all. Hmm. So it sounds like if we think about some of the barriers to being a legal nurse consultant in Canada, there's um, a very limited medical malpractice field. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are attorneys who don't understand the value of working with a nurse. Uh, there are, and correct me if I'm wrong, there is a compensation system, as I understand it, that that the plaintiff is paying the attorney's hourly rate as the case goes along rather than the attorney doing this on contingency fee is is that correct do i have that right well i think i think you have both um contingency fee and hourly rate and i think it's it depends on the attorney in that instance but yes you're absolutely right that the one big barrier is the number of actual cases per year so mm -hmm. that limits the amount of work. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then also um, Canada has two official languages. So English and French. And in some areas of the country, the uh, medical records will be written entirely in French. So that can be an advantage or a disadvantage. And that kind of depends on the fluency level of the LNC in interpreting that record. I'm smiling, Joan, because I spent uh, a, a few years in my life working for a seminar company, and they sent me on two tours of Canada. And I taught in every major city in Canada from coast to coast, with the exception of Montreal, because I didn't speak French. They said, we can't send you to Montreal to teach the nurses in Montreal because you speak English. and they don't. So that let me out of that uh, that opportunity. Although I think Montreal is a beautiful city, and I would love to have been there teaching, having been there as a child with my family, having fond memories of Montreal, but not in as an adult. I, I didn't qualify. So I could no, see and that there's... that could be a challenge for an LNC to know how to read records that are written in French. Absolutely. But it's kind of an advantage for um, the francophone or the bilingual LNC because they can market themselves as having that specialty of interpreting those records for the attorneys. So, yes, indeed. Well, I'd like to to ask you a couple more questions. My next to the, my last question is: What advice would you give to a nurse who is thinking about investigating work? as a legal nurse consultant in Canada? 
So there are, I actually have been contacted a few times by nurses that are kind of looking into this. And um, in Canada, it, there's a, a small issue, I guess, well, maybe a large issue, because we are a relatively small group of legal nurse consultants that we don't have established networks for education and support for our LNCs here in Canada. And as you know, networking is key. And many of the nurses that I've spoken to about how they got into LNC work is through someone they knew, um, getting out there, developing those relationships, speaking, joining organizations, going to educational opportunities, um, face-to-face over Zoom meetings. So those are some of the areas that we really need to work on and expand. And the other issue is that we don't have the volume of nurses pursuing this work or the education structure in place to support a national certification for the specialty in nursing, which makes it challenging for nurses to learn how to work with our attorneys and to assist them. So currently we we as a group tend to look more to the U.S. for support through organizations like the AALNC. Although I do have to say that we have our own national organization here, which is the LNCAC, Legal Nurse Consultants Association of Canada. Um, But as I said, there's no certification through them. So if you're looking to become certified, you have to take um, most of your education and training through uh, providers that are, are kind of already set up in the U.S. to get a certification. Um, through AALNC, you can take the education, but because um, you're required to have a U.S. license to take the actual certification test, we don't qualify for that. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of some of the, the drawbacks as far as getting the education and getting into this kind of work. So I would just encourage people to reach out to other people that they know that are already involved in the work and look for a mentor and develop those relationships and, and try and get your own support network going. Yeah. All right. Um, that's a great summary of some of the challenges and opportunities. How can our listener find out more about you and the services that you offer? So I um, am on LinkedIn. You can reach out to me there, um, Joan Davis RN, and um, or you can send me an email. My email address is Joan Davis LNC at protonmail.com, and that's P R O T O N mail.com. Thank you, Joan, for being a guest on Legal Nurse Podcast and being candid in identifying some of the opportunities and challenges for legal nurse consultants in Canada. It is a great opportunity for nurses, it sounds like, in Canada to provide the education and services that attorneys need and to work within the system that exists to be able to more effectively support attorneys in their handling of cases with medical issues. I will remind you as a viewer that my company, legalnursebusiness.com, offers 
online courses, conferences, coaching, designed to support nurses in various parts of the world with their learning needs to help them build their businesses and gain the skills that they need. Our next conference coming up, depending upon the time that you hear this, will be in October 2023, and that is set up at lnc.tips forward slash October 2023 virtual. That's the short code for that. lnc.tips forward slash October 2023 virtual. And we have a full range of business building topics and clinical topics. Be sure to come back next week for the next Legal Nurse podcast. We'll have a new guest, new topic, and keep sharing with your colleagues about Legal Nurse podcast. Thanks so much. I'm Pat Iyer, and this has been with Joan Davis talking about the state of Legal Nurse Consulting in Canada. Thanks so much. Coming up next, you will hear from a nurse practitioner who is also a legal nurse consultant who provides services both as an expert witness and a behind the scenes consultant. Rebecca Purcell is the person who I interviewed for this next episode. Rebecca, can you tell our listener a little bit about the topics that we covered? Yes, we discussed how I got into legal nurse consulting and why I find it so rewarding to do alongside my regular practice as a family nurse practitioner. We discussed the common areas of medical negligence against nurse practitioners. We reviewed some tips of how to minimize litigation and how to improve documentation. And we also talked about the supervisory or collaborative role between nurse practitioners and physicians. We covered a lot. This is a growing area of litigation. When I started my legal nurse consulting business in 1989, there were no lawsuits against nurse practitioners. And then over the course of the 28 years that I ran my full-time business, I had to keep bringing in new types of nurse practitioners to serve as experts. It went from adult primary medicine to neurology, to surgery, to emergency department, to psychiatric, to medical surgical, to hospitalist, you know, all types of ways that nurse practitioners specialize. The chances are high that as a legal nurse consultant, you will be involved in cases that include nurse practitioners as defendants. So you'll want to hear what Rebecca Pichelle says about this topic. Tune in next on Legal Nurse Podcast to hear Rebecca's thoughts. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for legal nurse consultants on LegalNurseBusiness.com. Pat coaches legal nurse consultants so they make more money, get more clients, and avoid expensive mistakes. Check out her coaching program at LNCAcademy.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Join our community to get notified of each new episode 
and to receive the transcript of today's program. Complete the request form on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. We appreciate you and your interest.